ground will be able to pull on that. Thanks, Sam. And uh, we're uh, having uh, moved down here. We have to rearrange uh, some of the recording things. So um, don't if uh, if I leave here and forget to give this to Sam, somebody be sure to remember to grab it so that she's not uh, phoneless. Because we know going phoneless today um, would be almost next to death. At least that's what my kids tell me. Let's uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this time to gather, and we pray that you will um, continue to show us who you are as we look at our history, as we look at the content of our faith. Uh, we desire um, not to just be Christians in our head, um, but to be followers of Jesus with all that we are, heart, mind, soul, and strength. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And important, um, uh, in, in essence, what Christian theology is, uh, it, and everybody hear me okay and can see okay, just uh, feel free to move around if you need to. I've got a microphone here, but uh, it might cause more trouble than it's worth in here. It might just bounce around. Um, but the essence of Christian theology is asking what Jesus asked the disciples. Who do you say I am? And that, if, if we had to point it to one particular question, the essence of Christian theology is that. Um, it's, who do you say that I am? And our purpose is to find, is to explore and develop that guiding truth for our life together. You know, we're not trying to, to get all the right um, uh, doctrines in line so that we have pure philosophy um, or that we have it all making uh, perfect sense. If, if we just get it to where it's right in the mind, we, we have not accomplished anything. Sort of a little take off on 1 Corinthians 13. If we've got it all right in the mind but we have not love, then we have nothing. And so this is about pursuing our truth for our life together, a guiding truth for our life together um, in Christ. And what uh, I'm uh, going to do is first we're going to look at what are some of the Christian basics. Uh, this is actually based on a section of the, the Presbyterian Book of Order that sort of outlines what are the Christian basics, what are, what are the essentials of the uh, Protestant Reformation, and then finally what are some things that are particularly Reformed. So it's what is Christian, uh, what is uh, the Protestant Reformation, and then what is uh, Reformed. And so this, uh, we'll spend most of the time today looking at some of the Christian basics and the Protestant um, Reformation. And there are, um, the, the first thing that is, uh, we understand is crucial for Christian basics is the mystery of the Trinity, you know, the, the, the triune God. And uh, the second is a corollary of that, but the incarnation of the eternal Word of God in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great theological statement? You sort of have to stop and think about, what exactly is that saying? Which is what a good theological statement is supposed to do. Um, but we'll, uh, we will look into both of these in a minute. Basically, the, God, the triune God and that Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, those are Christian essentials. If those are not in the, your doctrinal statements, 
then the question becomes, or the statement is, that's not within understanding of the basic essentials of Christianity. Um, <clears throat> so let's uh, look at the mystery mystery of the, the Trinity. <clears throat> a quote from uh, Dallas Willard, which I appreciate, um, who's a philosopher at the University of uh, Southern California. Um, God is too many to be one and too unified to be more than one. Now, isn't that just a, another great theological statement that you're sort of like, wait a minute, what? How exactly does that work that God is too many to be one and too unified to be more than one? And uh, yeah, you can just sort of hang with that for the next hour. But that's, that's okay. And this is really crucial because what we're trying to do here is define the essence of God. And if, if we're able to do that perfectly, like Chappie said last week, um, or somewhere, he said it recently, um, if, uh, if we're able to define who God is, run and hide because that means we, we are God. If we're able to grasp it. Um, if you spend a little bit of time, and there, uh, I forget now the guy now who's really developed this well, but you know, we understand reality in four dimensions. You know, height, width, length, and time. You know, it's the three dimensions of physical reality, and they travel through time. That's largely how we understand and grasp reality. And, and some of us, we can only get to two dimensions. You know, once you added that third dimension in geometry, we were done. <laughs> right? And, if you, and, then, and then if you got that far, but you got to physics, and they added time, done. You know, we're, but, and if we're particularly hip in music, then there is a fifth dimension. But uh, in God's reality, some of you got you got that one. Well, maybe that one might be beyond. Yeah. Um, if uh, it, but physicists and philosophers talk about dimensions eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen, hundred types of dimensions of reality. <clears throat> That are beyond what we can see, feel, and understand. They they don't can't measure them, but they postulate them and understand them and make theories and formulas that work as they try to understand reality that take into account these dimensions beyond what we understand. So if that's the case, if that indeed is reality, then God exists in every possible dimension. Every real dimension, God is there and present in exactly the same way that God is present and real here. So there's absolutely no way that we're going to be able to grasp fully the reality. If there is a God who created everything from nothing, then there's no way we're going to be able to understand Him Totally and completely. And so statements like this are going to be where we live in that tension. Because we're just not going to be able to get there intellectually. But the understanding of the mystery of the Trinity. Um, The traditional definition is there is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, If people have uh, Bibles... Um, ready. I meant to do this beforehand. But if you have a, a Bible, um, if somebody would take Matthew three sixteen seventeen, raise your hand just so I know you'll take that one. Matthew three sixteen and seventeen. We're going to read it in a minute. Thank you. Up here, I feel like an auctioneer. John seventeen four and five. 
Thank you, David. And Colossians 1, 15, 17. Anybody take that one? Mike. And then Romans 8, 9 through 11. Thank you, Maggie. And the last one, John 14, 25, 26. May I take that one? Thank you, Beth. Okay, we'll get to those in a minute. So, the traditional definition, one God in three persons. Some illustrations of the understanding of the Trinity, one God in three persons. The triple point of water. I've got a chemist, so you can even uh, tell me if, I'm, if I remember my chemistry well. But if you have the right temperature and the, the, the right barometric pressure, you will have H2O in existence in all three of its states, sort of going back and forth between them, but both in gas, in liquid, and solid. Is that... Yep. Am I right? Okay, so, it, you know, the, so it's all H2O, but it's going back and forth between all of its different states and that, in, in, in that at the right temperature and right barometric pressure. Now again, it's an illustration to try to understand, but it's, it's not complete. Um, it, uh, it does fall apart in some places, but it uh, is, a, if nothing more, it's sort of an interesting tidbit that uh, you leave with. Um, the other is, and this was uh, uh, proposed by Augustine, that, that the sun, there's the source, there's the light that it shines, and there's the, the heat that it emits. And that those, it's one element, but it's the source, the light, and the heat. And that's uh, um, another uh, understanding of, or illustration of, uh, the Trinity. Now, um, biblically, Matthew three sixteen and 17. Who said they had that for me? Thank you. Will you read that, please? And when Jesus was baptized, he went up at once out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he, John, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And lo, a voice out from heaven said, This is my Son, my Beloved, in whom I delight. In that particular passage the three persons of the Godhead are present. Jesus is being baptized, the Father's voice, this is my Son, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, is coming upon Jesus. So in that one, just to see the three persons of the Godhead active in that um, moment. Um, John 17, 4 and 5, and then Colossians 1, 15-17, speaking of the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Who had John 17, 4, 5? Thank you, David. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I began with you before the world began. Okay. And Colossians 1, 15, 17... Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. Thank you. And then finally, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans 8, 9 through 11. And we can just read 14, 25, 26. There. Who had uh, Romans 8, 9? Thank you, Maggie. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Thanks. And you see, even there, you know, the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, they're interchangeable um, and uh, working, uh, uh, trying to describe the work of the Spirit. Thanks. And, yes, Dave. Why is it important to have the Trinity? Once you have God is God, mm-hmm. Jesus is Jesus, mm-hmm. and the, the Holy Spirit, why do they have to be one? Mm-hmm. Why can't they be separate? Well, it's uh, in, important because there is one God. And that has been the uh, um, cry of the scriptures um, from the beginning, that there is one God. Secondly, it's important then because Jesus, in order to accomplish the the tasks that he had to accomplish in terms of redemption, in terms of uh, securing our forgiveness, being the one and only sacrifice, had to be God in the flesh to accomplish that. And, so, and if he wasn't, then he could die for his own sins, but he couldn't die for the sins of the world. And then the, the presence of the Spirit within us is indeed God connecting us to God. Um, God dwelling in us so that we are in, on, on task with God's mission um, and uh, not for our own mission. So is the Muslim see mm-hmm. Jesus? Uh-huh. Right. Uh, a highly regarded individual, mm-hmm. but they don't make that translation that he's a God. Correct. It separates. Mm-hmm. It's not like sending, having a son, and I'm sending my son out to do work. Right. That'd be like sending myself out. Right. In him. Exactly. Which is impossible to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Beyond our ability right. to comprehend that, but um, there are. In, in other uh, religious expressions, they look at Jesus positively, but not as divine. And from the scriptures, I mean, Jesus was there from the beginning, was uh, present at the creation, and that's been affirmed throughout the ages, up and down, as we'll look at in a minute, um, at Jesus' uh, divinity. Maggie? This was just, I was meditating on that just the last two days. <laughs> And in simplistic terms for me, mm-hmm. um, if I have the Holy Spirit, His job to me is to take me into all truth. If I'm of another religion, well, that's the perfect remedy not to be delivered from your pers- from sins mm-hmm. that keep you from mm-hmm. God, because the Spirit won't be with you to take you into all truth. Mm-hmm. As the Spirit takes me into all truth, if I don't have Jesus, I lack the authority to be freed from the bondage mm-hmm. that allows me to walk into that truth mm-hmm. and to live it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and that will work to that, that place. But understanding, well, let me continue. Um, let's see, John 14, 25, 26. Thank you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and to your remembrance, all that I can say to you. Which is simply what 
Maggie was saying just a moment ago. But it is now the, the, the Spirit is the very presence of God in our midst. In a sense, you look at the whole of salvation history. The, the, the Old Testament was the age of the Father. Where the, the, the Father was the one that we saw, that we recognized, that we experienced. I mean, it, it, it was still a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, like, Jesus was active at creation. The Spirit was active at creation. But it was one, uh, one God. But in, in terms of our limited view, the dimensions we see, in a sense, the Old Testament was the age of the Father. And then, the, in the Gospels, it was the age of Jesus God the Son. And in a sense today, from Acts 2 on, we live in the age of the Spirit. Where the the presence of God dwells within us individually and within us corporately. And that's, uh, and so it's, that's another reason why it's significant that it's not, well it was God then, and then sort of God's representative, and now um, just sort of the presence of God, it is an understanding that it was God at work, equally in every place, but in terms of our perception of what God is at work, in a sense, sort of the top of the iceberg that we see, is we see the work of the Spirit um, present in us. Uh-huh. So, if we have the work of the Spirit, which is leading us to all truth, why do we need Jesus? Because Jesus is uh-huh. the He is the well, the it, what we understand with uh, Jesus, one, we, we understand that Jesus is with the Father, interceding for us on our behalf. We also understand in terms of what Jesus accomplished on the cross is uh, the living forgiveness, um, the eternal forgiveness for all of God's people. That we, it's, it's Jesus' act that enables us to come before the Father in boldness. It's Jesus' act that enables the Spirit to then dwell in us so that we can be empowered for the work of ministry to, in order to proclaim and share and be a witness to the work of Jesus um, uh, today. Uh, so it's, yes, Tom. I just can say, when it comes to concrete things, I can identify with Jesus mm-hmm. because he was a man mm-hmm. and he was here mm-hmm. and he had the things he had to decide mm-hmm. and weigh and options and so on. You know, it's a little harder for me to say what would God do in this mm-hmm. situation because God isn't a physical being mm-hmm. over here, but Jesus was. Mm-hmm. So I communicate yeah. on a day-to-day basis in that regard more with Jesus, mm-hmm. although with God, right. think of the and it's a great point. God is not, Jesus is not just God, He is God in the flesh. And so it's not just that He's perfect and that He's got, He's the perfect human. He gives us the, the, the sense of what it means to be human in relationship to the Father as well. Thanks. Scott? It seems to me, too, as we're, we're discussing something that uh, reflects the Unitarian. God was, okay, he, he was one, but he had different, three different roles. Mm-hmm. That's not, a, that's exactly not what we believe. We're Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. One in essence, three in person. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, yeah, it's, it's beyond our capacities to fully grasp. But again, um, that 
is that when, where you see Jesus, you see God. Where you experience the Holy Spirit, we experience God. And that is uh, uh, what uh, the Trinity means. Um, the Apostles' Creed, which is one of our ancient creeds, is based on the triune God uh, that we say regularly at uh, uh, baptisms. Now, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And in the third paragraph, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And then the manifestations of the Holy Ghost are really then listed. The church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life um, everlasting. So the uh, ancient creed of the Apostles' Creed is even based on the triune God. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Barbara. I have a question about that third paragraph. Uh-huh. Why, why, is it, uh, why does it say the Holy Catholic Church? Why? Good question. The, uh, it says the Holy Catholic means universal. And so what it means is the whole of the church, the big C, not Roman Catholic, uh, which is particularly one um, flavor of the ice cream that we call the church, big C. (laughs) Great question. Um, And uh, so the Christian basics, again, the triune God, that God, one God, but God in three persons. God is too many to be one and too unified to be more than one. The, the second Christian basic is the incarnation of the eternal word of God in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Jesus is God in the flesh. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son, who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. Now, now, John tries to capture this poetic sense by using the, the word became flesh. And there, in Greek, there's the word for word. When you talk about letters making having meaning together, it is not the word that is used here for word. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Greek word is rhema, that means word. The word that means idea, that, that, that means the, the, the essence, the, the, the meaning is, is logos. And that's what we're getting at here. So the, the essence, the meaning the, the, of God is, is, what, is who Jesus is. Um, it is uh, and that's why I say when we see Jesus, we see God. What Jesus does, God does. 
and, and you see here, he was before. And, and it's also, I think it's, it's powerful that the New Testament writers use this kind of language that is more poetic than scientific because they're capturing this sense, even then, that it's beyond our ability to be totally clear and precise. That as we, as the, the, the more precise we, what is it, Heidenberg principle, is that what it is? The, yeah, yeah uncertain, the, the, clo- the more we measure it, really, the more uncertain we become. And there's, there's a sense theologically that that's what you know, John and what the New Testament writers are, are, are doing. And so we might want more precision, and uh, we might fall into that trap. And at times, as in Presbyterian Church, we have fallen into that trap. Uh, but thankfully, the New Testament writers didn't. Um, so, but Jesus is God in the flesh. <clears throat> now... <clears throat> the Nicene Creed that you have before you was one of the, the great historical arguments about then the divinity of Jesus. And whereas we say God is one God, three persons, the understanding of, of Jesus is that he is one person, two natures. He's 100% God, 100% human. There, there's, there's, there's no sense that Jesus is not human, and there's no sense that Jesus is not God. Again, one person, but two natures. And this was some of the, the uh, discussion around the Nicene Creed. And you've got a little bit of history there. We've talked about this before. Um, it was around 325 A.D. when this discussion was going on and why there was such a battle going on. And if you read the Creed, you're like, man, they went ham on this part here about Jesus. Um, well, you know why? They did. It's because that, historically, that was the concern about exactly how much was Jesus God. Was he 99% God? Did, was, he, was he God for part of the time? And then when he was about to die, you know, that's when he was no longer God. Then he was just human. And they wanted to be clear, no. You know, Jesus was God from before the beginning and forever. So that's why we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from God, true God from true God, begotten, not made. One of the big issues there, well, you know, there was God, and then Jesus sort of came later. You know, he was, he was um, uh, made uh, by the Father. Um, but, uh, no, He is of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. Key word there is one being. And this... Um, These are the two words uh, that over the time became the big issues that they were were fighting about in the 300s, 400 um, AD. The homo usias, homo being same. Homoi usias, this is a Greek transliteration. Um, uh, What looks like uh, there is a semicolon actually represents an H um, in uh, Greek. so you, you can even see H-O-M-O, usios, substance. Homoi is like substance. And someone would say, no, Jesus is like God. He's in the light, and it's just one, one letter, one iota there that, that someone wanted to put in, and they, that's what they got into the big fight about. And others were like, no, we'll take it out. And I mean, this went on for hundreds of years. Nobody at the beginning of this battle was there at the end. And nobody at the end was there at the beginning. Because it was probably about 150 years, really largely. It was what, uh, about 450 when it was all really sort of wrapped up in a, in a firm and agreed um, 
in uh, uh, when after Ni- Nicene Creed uh, and the Council of Nicaea was in 325. Um, but uh, the uh, that Jesus was God in the flesh, um, and that this is a, and John First John talks about this being essential to the faith. So much so that if this is not what you affirm, then you're a false teacher. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know that no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the one sent from the Father? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. And then 1 John 4, but, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. And First John, John actually deals with a couple issues there in terms of what are essential. This is sort of the doctrinal test. He also has a social one, that uh, if you're in Christ and you love one another, and if you don't, then you're not in Christ. And he also has, um, in, a, in a sense, uh, an ethical one, uh, that you'll obey his commandments. Um, so there's a, there's a doctrinal, social, and uh, ethical um, test in John. But here he addresses particularly the, the divinity of, uh, of Jesus. Now, so those are the Christian essentials. You know, the basic Christian, what we agree on as Christians. It's why those, that's why the, the Mormon church and Jehovah's Witnesses, as examples, are not considered Orthodox Christianity because they do not have that view of Jesus as Jesus being divine. Uh-huh. What is the, what is the um, Protestant version of the lack of Trinity? What is the names of those? Unitarians? I don't know. I mean, no, I, I just, uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Okay. I, I'm just wondering because I, I know that different people have risen up over time and then you get Do, Oh, over, over history, different groups have formed that are Unitarians, which means that they don't hold to the Trinity. Uh, historically, there have been some, and um, so most Protestants would be Unitarians if they didn't hold to the Trinity. Correct. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember a, a church in the last twenty years that sort of it was, it was headquartered in Boston. Uh, it met a lot at the old Boston Garden. Boston yeah, and, and they were not Trinitarian, really, in what they affirmed, and it sort of. I think they've gone. They sort of came and went. But um, <clears throat> that's... Uh, uh, and there, there are some that do form. And so, but those are the two essentials. The, the Trinity and the Incarnation. God, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Um, without those, we say then it's, it's not Christian. Now, what came out of the Reformation, what things that the, that the Reformation reaffirmed that has sort of been lost in the church for a period of time... Um, 
are, uh, are these uh, justification by grace through faith and Scripture as the final authority for salvation and the life of faith. Um, we'll uh, take the rest of our time and look at justification by grace through faith and we'll do that quickly. Romans 3, 23, 26. For there is no distinction since all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. So you can see, justified, grace, and faith. The gift is the same Greek word as grace or from the same root uh, justified it means we are made right with God. Um, justify is the verbal form of righteousness. It's the same word. And uh, so it means we are made right. It is an act that, uh, that happens to us, um, not something that we attain, but something that is given to us. We are made right with God. And that's what justify. It's sort of a, uh, a nice little word, but it is the cataclysmic event of salvation. Uh, justification, that we we are wrong, we have sinned, we fall short of the glory of God, we deserve God's wrath and judgment, but we are justified the way that we're justified is because we're made righteous. That, that in a sense, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, you know, Jesus takes our wrath, we take His righteousness. So we are justified by an act of God in Christ, um, by the power of His Spirit, giving to us His righteousness that justification then is by grace it is a one way gift of God without any human contribution as you've heard some have heard before unmerited favor it is a gift no no reason nothing was done to earn it to accomplish it it was done and accomplished totally by God and given to us freely for our response to receive and and, and, and faith biblically is belief plus trust. It is not, you know, as, as, as uh, James says, you know, the devil believes in one God. The, the devil knows all this, probably explain it to you a whole lot better than I can. <laughs> but it's not what he trusts. Yeah? And so faith, the biblical understanding of faith is belief plus trust. And, and, and that, that faith is that simple, that human response of receiving that gift from God. And that was one of the, the crucial elements uh, that the, the, the Reformation um, focused upon and brought back to the surface that had become, as we heard in, in history, um, had become lost. But this is one of the crucial elements of the Reformation that are the basics for the Protestant Reformation. Let's uh, talk about this just a, a little bit, little bit more. <clears throat> there are the three. There are five actually solas only in, in the Reformation: uh, solus Christus, sola gratia, sola fide. Uh, only Christ, only grace, only faith. The other two are only Scripture and only the glory of God. We'll get to those in a little bit. But these three are uh, um, the uh, ones that we're looking at, uh, looking at here: justification. Um, by grace through faith. It is an act that Christ accomplishes. It's a gift of God, and it is through our faith. And you can see here in Ephesians 2, 3, and 10, probably one of the great passages for uh, 
the Reformation along uh, justification by grace through faith um, that uh, highlights that. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 3 through 10. <clears throat> Again, the first uh, four verses are basically, it's like the, the, we are in sin in the passions of our flesh. We are um, worthy of God's wrath. <clears throat> in verse 24, two of the best words ever in the Bible, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that, in the ages to come, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And again, it's what Christ has accomplished. It's our standing in Christ that is given to us by God's gift that we simply respond to and receive in faith. Now, the four G's of the Reformation... Gratitude, guilt, grace, gift. Now, if you've got a pencil and pen, think about this. If you think about salvation history from Genesis all the way to maps, how, what, would you put, what order would you put these four words in? Uh, what would be sort of the first? You, know, you, you think about the whole story. Which comes first? Which one's second? Which one's third and fourth? You don't have to say it out loud. I'm just wanting you to think about it yourself. What do you think would be, you had to put them in order, salvation history, God's relationship to, to humankind. Which one of those is first, which one's second, third, and then fourth. A uh, little bit of a hint is you can look at um, Genesis 1 and 2. If you remember that particular story, um, the, the events of Genesis 1 and 2, what comes first his gift. God creates. No reason for God to create. God's triune community, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's fine. There's, he has no need of anything. Uh, he is just happy as can be relating to God's self. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> but gift, then, is the first act of God. It is the very nature of God to give. And that is creation. Adam and Eve in the garden. Eat of all these trees, but not that one. Sit in any of these chairs, but you know, not that one. <clears throat> Which, of course, is then where they sit. And so that's guilt. That's sin. That's separation. That is, you know, God is, as it said, God made us in His image from the beginning, and we've been returning the favor um, ever since, making Him in our image. And so... We, then, the next step then is, is guilt, our sin. Which then, the next step then is grace. God's grace. In the creation events, it's that He didn't destroy Adam and Eve at that point. But He said, here, here's some clothing. Yeah, but the, the, the results of your actions, you now recognize that you're um, naked and now you recognize that. You recognize things that you weren't really supposed to. But now let me clothe you to take care of that. And now I'll send you out of the garden. And, but continue, be fruitful and multiply 
And so that the, the grace even in creation and certainly in salvation history that was uh, fully accomplished in Jesus. Which then leads to gratitude. That's where obedience comes. Our, uh, our charge of, of following Christ, of doing what God wants us to do, is not in order to achieve salvation. Not in order to gather God's love. It is in response to it. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less. Nothing we can do to add to the justification that has been accomplished in Christ. Our place of then uh, obedience is in gratitude. And that is salvation by grace. Now, I want to bring out one thing, too, that's important. The the difference between justification and salvation. Justification is a subset of salvation. Salvation in the the Scriptures is is past, present, and future. It is a a whole um, arena of our walking with God. It includes justification, sanctification, and glorification. Salvation is not... Just a one-time event. That's justification. When we're justified, when we're made right. But Paul talks about salvation in the past. We were saved at the cross. He talks about salvation in the present. Today is the day of salvation. And he talks about salvation in the future. When Jesus returns, we shall be saved. That's the glorification. When we are glorified. When we are are given our glorified body upon Christ's return. So justification is that one time. Sanctification is then the in-between time. Is that movement of growing. It means holy. It means being set apart for God. Becoming more and more like Christ. All of that is the process of salvation. And that was a crucial element as well of the Reformation uh, that hits at our growth in Christ. Yes, Laura. And that would be... Like, I guess I understand at that point of the Reformation that the church, the Catholic Church was doing the divide your way. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Reformation right. came about. Right. What about the Catholic Church today? Uh-huh. Wouldn't they yeah. fall much closer in line now? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, Newhouse, uh, Richard Newhouse and Charles Colson wrote a book, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. Speaks a lot to that. Um, <clears throat> uh, but Chuck Colson and I forget which, Niebuhr. No, Newhouse. Uh, something starts with an N. <clears throat> um, and European. Uh, but uh, but there, there's a lot more conversation with evangelicals, Protestants, and Roman Catholics around this. To, to, to gather common language and affirm much more that we agree upon than what we disagree upon. And, so there, and, and there was a counter-reformation in the um, 16th, uh, 17th century, uh, that where the Roman Catholic Church did um, uh, uh, react to, respond to the Reformation, and brought some of those changes about even then. Um, and it was around that time that Ignatius came on and the Jesuits came on. I mean, um, uh, and I'm not sure that Ignatius was in response, but it was sort of at the same time. It was sort of more. It wasn't so much in response to the Reformation as it was just the the age what was going on in the church in that day. You think of sanctification as a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Process. Yeah, no, excellent. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, the, the, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit within us, drawing us, forming us more and more 
like like Christ. <clears throat> but it is is this uh, where we put gratitude, where we put obedience, is significant um, in these this order. And what we try to do is we try to put gratitude, or we try to put obedience uh, in, in uh, before grace. Uh, that's what we try to do. I mean, I do it all the time. You know, it's just a human thing because I'm in control then. You know, then it's something I bring to the table. Um, and uh, and and that really is uh, um, you know a useless pursuit, but to, to simply receive. God's uh, grace. So the, the once saved, always saved. Uh-huh. I came to know the Lord was in my heart. Uh-huh. I'm saved. Uh-huh. I'm going right on there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where's the sanctification in that? Right. There is no sanctification. Yeah, yeah. You have to process <clears throat> mm-hmm. Which is why um, Paul's uh, use of salvation is past, present, and future. That, that, that whole process of salvation that he's he is uh, about our continued growth in uh, in Christ. That's a, that's a common reformed um, uh, understanding. The perseverance of the saints. So that could be in any other Protestant churches as well. It's pretty much in reformed. Lutheran would be in reformed. Protestant Reformed. I'm not sure about Anglican theology. <coughs> Wesleyan is not. Neither in terms of our history. But we'll uh, speak about that probably a little more next time. Um, so, uh, justification by grace through faith. And then the last one that we'll uh, address next week is Scripture as the final authority for salvation and the life of faith. And those are the two that are then part of the Protestant Reformation of basics. Uh, what are the, the crucial elements of our church um, as Christians and then part of the Protestant Reformation and then uh, we'll move on beyond that to the uh, Reformed Church specifically next week. All right, again, if you have any other questions that you want to write down, um, you can put them in the question box in the back. Uh, next week, we'll be back up at uh, Fellowship Hall. Now, either uh, um, hope if you haven't eaten, you'll uh, either, uh, if you've eaten at the Lord's table, you'll eat at the uh, round table in Fellowship Hall. If you haven't eaten at the Lord's table, then we'll see you there. Yes, Les. Just a nitpicking here. Uh-huh. In the ancient creeds under Nicene, the third paragraph, Second sentence oh. is a typo. It says oh. one O N E. It yeah. should be one W O N. Oh, thank you. Not very important. Yeah, no, but thank you. Let's uh, let's pray. Dear Father, we give you thanks for this time together, and we thank you for those who've gone before us, um, who have uh, struggled with these truths to put them in forms that um, uh, serve your church. And we ask that uh, you would continue in the power of your Spirit who resides within us, who, who strengthens us, who teaches us today, uh, that we would not just know this in our head, but would live it with our hands and our feet. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.